You are listening to Truth, a six-week teaching series from Jubilee Church. This series looks at the book of Titus to explain how truth is lived out within the church community. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Good morning. You feeling those warm fuzzies yet? This is not going to be one of those Sundays. Uh, Man, I first read this when Brian... uh, first gave me this text. I think he might have given me this text because it was my idea to work through the book of Titus. We were sitting in a room just like, hey, what's the church need? And I was like, man, Titus would be great. And, uh, and then he's like, hey, Dylan, you can take this one. Um, so hang with me. I mean, it doesn't it feel like Paul's like hangry. I mean, he's just like, you evil beast, you lazy gluttons. I mean, he just seems so uh, angry. And um, I mean, it, I don't know. I'm like, Paul, man, maybe you had a hard week. Maybe you are a little hangry, but it just seems harsh. And uh, Paul, he didn't have a bad week. He's, he's feeling intense about uh, something. You know, this series is called Truth, and Paul is writing this letter to a spiritual son of his, Titus, and Titus is contending uh, for truth in this island called Crete, and Paul is feeling intense about these threats to the truth and these threats to the local church in Crete, and uh, so he is getting pretty uh, intense. And I just, I want to ask you a question, a little survey, which uh, the way these surveys go, you know, these hand-raising surveys, is uh, you have to participate. Otherwise, I just feel very lame up here by myself with my hand up. So uh, please, raise. if you don't land on a side, just raise your hand on one of them and make me feel better about that. Um, so when someone says something about you that isn't true, uh, you know, some of us, we have different responses. If your response is uh, when someone says something about you isn't true, that you just like immediately defend yourself, and you're like, ah, oh, no, you didn't. Like, don't, and then you just shoot... Who's that? Who in the room just speaks up immediately? Like, no, you didn't. Okay, okay. See, all of our aggressive people attended the 9 a.m. Like, all the hands were up in the 9. Who, like, passively uh, gets angry and, you know, maybe even a little bitter if we're honest inside, but you don't speak up in the moment? You maybe go to your, you know, your friend afterward, and I can't believe they, but you, in the moment, you're just, you just take it. Who's that? Yeah, so all the passive-aggressive people in the 11 a.m., all the aggressive people in the 9. Good to know. All right. Uh, who doesn't care? Who's like, that doesn't matter. It bothers me when people, the few, the proud. Hold it high if that's you. You should be, you know. But hey, what about when, they're, when it's about your wife or your kid or your mama? Uh-uh. Right? I mean, it's like, so I could, some days I could be the guy who's like, ah, whatever, I don't care what you say about me, but don't talk about my mama, man. I love my mama, so... Never did like your mama jokes. However you respond, one thing's true for us. One thing is true for every single person in this room. The more important someone is to us, the more severe our response when someone says something about them that isn't true. Which is why for some of us it matters if you say something about us. For some of us it matters if you say something about our spouse or our kid or our mama. We, we respond more severely the more that we care. And not only do we respond more severely when we care, but we know if something is true of someone or not, the closer we are to that person. And so if I came to you and I was like, man, my neighbor, he's just this lousy dude. You, you might be like, yeah, maybe he is, maybe he is, I don't know. But if you know, if, you, if my neighbor is your cousin, and I'm like, man, my neighbor's this lousy dude, you're going to be like, wait a second, I know my cousin. Johnny's a good dude, and why are you saying that about Johnny? Johnny's a good guy. Uh, because you know him. In the same way, like if you know, if you came to me and you're like, man, God doesn't love me. If I don't know God, like if I don't really know God, I don't care that much about God, then my response may be like, yeah, maybe God does love you. Maybe God doesn't love you. I don't know because I don't know 
God. But if I know God and you say that to me, I'm going to be like, no, 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 wait a minute. I know God loves you. You may be like, well, how do you know God loves me? I'm like, well, because I know God and I know that God loves. And so I know that God loves you. How do you know? Well, because I know God. And last week we looked at this uh, letter, Titus, and we looked at verses 5 through 9, and a lot of the things in there were, we were looking at is that uh, elders and really every Christ follower needs to know the truth, but we also need to live the truth. And then at the end, Paul says this thing to Titus. He says, and at times you need to defend the truth. Not just elders, but every Christ follower needs to know the truth, live the truth, and at times defend the truth. But even when we do that, you know, what we're defending in this book, we're not just defending you know, the Christian constitution, like, oh, you said that, it's not true in the book. What we're defending is so much more than just some, you know, constitutional law or some book that we adhere to. What we're defending is so much more than that. Look at John 14, 6. This is a famous statement Jesus makes about himself. He says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Now, he doesn't say about himself, he doesn't say, I come preaching the truth or I come living the truth or I I come showing you the truth. No, he he says, I come. And I am the truth. The, the reason Paul's so passionate about truth and about the, the attacks or the threats to the truth is because he's passionate about Jesus Christ. And for us to be the church that God has called us to be, we have to be passionate about Jesus Christ. Truth is not about some list of doctrines. Truth is not just some th- way of thinking. Truth is a person. And his name is Jesus. And us drawing near to the truth is us drawing near to Jesus. Us learning what the truth is and how to live in the truth is us learning who Jesus is and how to live with him. And it's important that we do. It's very important as we do as Christ followers to understand who Jesus is and to walk with him. Because there's so many just lies floating around out there about God that aren't true. Lies like God doesn't love me. Lies like it doesn't matter as long as you believe, as long as you believe something you know, there's all these ways to God, and it doesn't matter which one you pick, just pick one and you'll find God. That's not what the Christian, that's not what this book teaches. What this book teaches is he's the way. He doesn't say, I'm one of many ways. He says, I am the way. Lies like, you know, love wins. Love is the ultimate thing. It doesn't matter what you do with your life as long as you love other people. It doesn't matter so much what you believe as long as you love other people, then you're good to go. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us something different. Now you may be like, come on, Dylan, I read 1 John you know, 4, 8, God is love. Are you telling me love isn't important? Love is important, but what this doesn't say is love is God. You know, check the order. God goes first. God defines love. Love doesn't define God. And so we don't put love out and say, okay, we all just need to be loving, and God needs to be loving, and so we get to put love on God. No, God, God says, I am love, and so I get to define what love is, and he gets to put that on us. God is love. But it's important that we know the truth because if we don't know the truth, we'll just go bonkers into all these different lies and beliefs and thoughts about God that aren't true. And we'll end up worshiping and loving and serving someone who is not God, who is not the God of this book, who is not the God of Jesus Christ. Sometimes truth, it feels heavy. You know, someone walks in, they're like, hey, we're doing a series on truth. And you're like, I think I'll skip that one. It seems kind of lame, boring, you know, it just seems heavy, like truth. You know, the Bible thumpers are all like, Hey, know the truth, love the truth. You know, it just feels, it feels like throwing a wet blanket on your fun. You know, it's like, I was watching a movie last night, truth. And, uh, you know, it feels like anything but freedom. The word truth is how that feels. But actually, Jesus said something very different. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said, when truth comes, freedom comes. 
knowing the truth. It's not about being, you know, straight-laced, boring Christians. If when you think of truth and, man, me knowing my Bible and loving, my, and loving Jesus through the words of this book, it's not about being this straight-laced, uptight, you know, has no life in you, Christ fall. It's about becoming free in God. And the more we know the truth and walk in the truth, the more free we become in our life with God. Some of us, you know, we entered into the Christian life because we saw this vision of a life of peace and a life of joy and a life of hope and a life of eternal joy in the presence of God and other people. We saw all that. We saw other Christ followers who had joy and life and peace, and we thought, I want what you have. Some of us are in this room because you were invited by a Christ follower who maybe you've seen their life, and you're just like, man, I want what you have. I don't know what it is, but I'll come to church with you and hear more about it. Uh, Some of us entered into the Christian life with that promise, and you know, when we first met Christ, we felt free. We felt joy. We, we, we sang these songs. And these songs had life. Like these songs were beating out of our hearts. It's like someone wrote down on paper and put music to what we were feeling. And then we've just lived with Christ and we've been in church and we've, we've, we've adopted these ideas about God that aren't true. And it's like the life got snuffed out of us. And we're just striving and we're just trying and we're just trying to be good. And we're, honestly, it feels like we're just dying and carrying burdens. And Jesus says that... The, if you know the truth, the truth's going to set you free. It was happening at a church in Galatia, and Paul wrote a letter to them. He said, you're, you're going into legalistic ways, and you're becoming bewitched because you're, you're going into rules and religion. You're not living in the life that Christ purchased for you. And then in the fifth chapter of the letter, Galatians 5.1, he says, for freedom Christ has set us free. This whole series, this series on truth, this is a series about knowing the truth and living in the truth so that we can be free. And my hope and my prayer through this series is that each and every one of us experiences a greater degree of freedom on the end of this because we know the truth more, we live in the truth more, we trust Christ more, and his freedom becomes our freedom. Christ died to set us free, free from the curse of sin, free from the power of evil, free from the law of condemnation. He wants you and your spouse and your kids and this church and this city, he wants freedom for us. The way we get freedom is we know the truth and we live in the truth. We live what we believe Guys, here's the deal. For the sake of our freedom, for those of us who are Christ followers, we have to know the words of this book. I almost lost it. We have to know the words of this book. We have to, like, get in here and read and know and learn who is Jesus, what's he like. And I, just, I have good news for you. If you've never read the Bible, uh, this series is a great opportunity to just open the book and get to reading some things. And then you could start in the book of Titus. The book of Titus is a great book to start with. I'll show you why. Uh, this is the beginning of Titus. This is the end of Titus. Can I do it again? This is the beginning of Titus. That's the end of Titus. So if you want a book to start with in reading the Bible, this is a great book to start with because it doesn't take that. You could read it five times and go to work and be like, I read, the book of, I read a book of the Bible five times before I came to work. It takes you like ten minutes. Um, I read it the other night in two minutes and 38 seconds. So I'm telling you, you can read this. But then once you get through Titus, I mean, it's not a bad idea as we're going through this series just to read Titus like once a week or maybe even once a morning and just get this book living in your heart. But, you know, also look at the book of John, the, you know, the Gospels, be, begin reading some of uh, the New Testament. When, when you get done with the New Testament, go to the Old Testament. Old Testament makes way more sense in light of the New Testament. You know, you read about temple and sacrifices and all that stuff, and you're like, what is this? And then you read about Jesus, and like, he's, he's making a new temple, which is the church. He was the ultimate sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And so the Old Testament makes a lot more sense in light of, so if you've read the Old Testament, you're like, this is confused. Just go to the New Testament and then come back. The Old Testament's 
scary, I've heard, but it's so beautiful and wonderful in light of the New Testament. Uh, So open that book and get to know the words of that book. Get to know the truth of who God is because, uh, you know, God has says we are a a pillar of truth in our cities, that that Christ followers and really Christian communities are pillars of truth. And the world's going to look on us and they're going to see truth and they're going to want truth because of what they see in us. But it starts with us knowing the truth. It starts with us knowing the truth individually. It starts with us knowing the truth as a community. And it's the truth of God, the truth of Christ is found in this book. And it points us to the person who is the truth. It's important that we know the truth because there's all these threats on the truth. And the two main threats that Paul is going to show us are the threat of those who completely cast off the truth. They're rebellious to the truth. They hate the truth. They don't try and hide that they hate the truth. They literally just like, run away from the truth, the rebellious people. But the people who maybe even are more dangerous to the truth are the, are the people he starts with in verse 10, which are the religious people. Uh, the religious people are potentially even more dangerous to the church. And he does not uh, mince his words with religious people. He, he starts, he says, they're insubordinate. They're empty talkers. They, they tend to hop church to church, uh, religious people who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and they're just looking for someone to listen. They're looking uh, for someone to listen. You know, they've got their own theories about the end times and when Christ is going to come. And they've made it this big deal. Uh, last I checked, you know, Christ was like, I don't even know when I'm going to come back. The Father will tell me and, and then you'll, you'll know it'll just happen. But they're like, oh, no, we figured it out. We've calculated the times. They made a big deal about end times when essentially what Christ says is, I'm coming back. You need to get ready for me. You won't know when. Uh, they're trying to make the Bible all about their political opinions when the Bible's not about that. It's about coming to know and love Jesus Christ. They talk a lot about stuff that doesn't matter. Uh, community group leaders, beware this person. They will hijack the conversation. They will go on and on and on and on and on about stuff that doesn't matter. And Paul goes on. He says they're deceivers. It's a strong word. I looked up the Greek. Guess what it means? It means to deceive. Isn't that amazing? They put a spin on everything. They're always appearing one way, but under the hood, there's something else going on. Or maybe behind the scenes, there's something else going on. It's like Jesus said to the Pharisees. He says, you're whitewashed tombs. You care about how you appear. You care about external appearances, but internally, you're dead. You're full of envy and greed and all this nastiness. He says, but outside, you look beautiful. But inside, it's, they're deceiving. And when someone in the church is like this, the only way to stop them is to silence them which I don't know about you, but to me, this seems kind of harsh. Silence them. That's, all you, that's the only thing you can do. Paul mentions the circumcision party. This is a group that believed Gentile Christians needed to be circumcised. Uh, the Gentile, or sorry, the circumcision party, it's Jews who have become Christians. And, you know, in their uh, old Jewish ways, they had the Jewish law. One of the Jewish laws was circumcision. Uh, And they come to these Gentile Christians who have recently found faith in Christ. Their lives are being transformed. They're enjoying the grace of God. And they come along and they're like, that's nice. That's good that you have faith in Christ now. But we've got some higher knowledge we want you to know about. That, you know, you need to still obey the law of circumcision. You still need to be circumcised to mark yourself as a part of the covenant people of God. Uh, You know, Jesus came and he said, you mark yourself as the covenant people of God now through baptism. But the circumcision party thought you still need to be circumcised. Two, and the Apostle Paul gets really intense about this, not just because uh, he, he, you know, he feels bad for grown men who are going to have to get the snip, but uh, he feels he's intense about this because you say you have to obey one law and then you have to obey them all. 
And then it's not about standing upon the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. It's not about what Paul says in you know, Ephesians 3 when he says it's, it's by grace that you've been saved, not according to anything that you've done, none of your works, but by grace that you've been saved. But if you, if you say, but you have to do this one law, this one thing to be approved by God, then you have to do the whole thing. And, and the whole thing is, that's, that was never the point. The law was never meant to save us. Jesus said, I fulfilled the law. But then Paul comes in in Galatians and he's like, look, the law was just a tutor to Christ. The law was a mirror to reflect back to you that you're really not as good as you thought you were. It was meant to show you that you needed a savior. So the law, which says uh, you shall not murder, and then Jesus comes in and says, but, but also if you've been angry towards your brother in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. Or the law, which says you shall not commit adultery. But then Jesus comes in and he says, if you lusted after a woman in your heart, then you've already committed adultery in your heart and you're guilty of offending the law, which means you're guilty of, of, of really breaking the entire law, which means that you deserve the punishment of the, the law. The law was meant to tutor us to Christ, to show us our need for a Savior. But this circumcision party coming in, and they're like, no, 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 you need to obey the law. And if that happens, then you hijack the grace of God, and it's no longer the gospel of grace. It's our performance to be approved by God, which was never the point. We cannot, become a, a, we cannot be approved of by God because of what we do. It would only be possible if we could live perfect, sinless lives, but we haven't. And so Christ is our only hope. And so Paul gets intense, and he's like, you have to silence the circumcision party. Whole families are being upset. The grace of God has got a wet blanket thrown on it, and it's called the circumcision party. He says, take that blanket off. Silence those people. Don't let them have a voice in the church. When legalistic religious people come into this church and say, but you need to do this and this and this and this, and church attendance and praying and da-da-da-da-da makes God happy with you, we have a responsibility to say that's not true. The grace of God and the grace of God alone makes us acceptable to God. And it's out of that place of grace that we obey. We obey because we are accepted. We We do not obey to become accepted. That's really, really, really important for the church. And so Paul says you have to silence the religious people, and then you have to rebuke the rebellious people. You have to rebuke the rebellious people. And uh, he takes a quote from one of the local poets, verse 12. Uh, He says, Cretans are always liars. Uh, When Rebecca and I did premarital, one of the things one of the elders in the church told us, he said, be careful the extreme language. You always do this. You never do this. But Paul's like, that's fine. You can can use the always extreme language, I guess. But... uh, I guess that's, uh, anyway, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy, gluttons. So intense. And then he says, this testimony is true. He's like, hey, one of your poets said this. I agree. He didn't want to say it himself, but then he agrees. I love that biblical authors don't always say things in a nice way. You know, he's not sugarcoating it. He's not buttering it up. He's just like, hey, you guys are wicked. Crete is an island that's known for its moral depravity. The ancient historian Polybius wrote that it was almost impossible to find personal conduct more treacherous or public policy more unjust than in Crete. Cicero also stated that moral principles are so divergent that the Cretans consider highway robbery honorable. It's crazy. You think of the dark places in like Vegas or Amsterdam and take that times 10, that is Crete. Crete is one of the darkest, most wicked cities in the world at this time. And uh, side note, Paul does not run away from Crete. He does not run away from the darkness. He runs into the darkness. 
uh, not only does he run into the darkness, but he sends his spiritual son, Titus, to come in. He says, Titus, I want you to build a church here. I want you to build a church that is grounded upon the truth, that is a light in dark places. Paul doesn't run away from the darkness. He runs in. And if you've been in a city for any period of time, and maybe, and specifically if you're in the city, uh, not just by happenstance, but because you really feel God has called you here to be a light uh, to the city, there are some beautiful, wonderful places in the city. There are also some dark places in the city. And it seems like more and more, uh, you know, I just, I hear stories, and maybe I'm just hearing more of, you know, uh, uh, shootings and break-ins and car thefts and all this stuff, and my neighborhood uh, that I live in, you know, held a meeting the other night just to address all of this. And I'm tempted with a five-month-old daughter to uh, look at all of that and think to myself, man, I don't want to raise her in this. I'm going to hit the road and go find somewhere safer. And, and I genuinely am tempted by that. And uh, not to say that living in a safe place is sinful, because obviously it's not, but it's about the call of God on our lives. And, and I know God's called me here, but I'm tempted to run away from that for this fear and this desire for safety. And I'm so encouraged by the example of Paul and specifically by uh, Jesus himself, who left heaven, all of the comfort, all of the joy, all of the safety, and came to earth, entered into our darkness, went to the darkest place in the world on the cross for our sin. He says this in John 1, 5. He says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When, when I remember Christ, when I remember his words, that light always overcomes the darkness, that there's not a place in the world that's dark enough that the light does not overcome it, and Christ's light, there's not a place in the world that is dark enough that Christ's light cannot overcome it. What, what, you know what Jesus says in Matthew 5, that we, the church, are the light of the world. When is light most beneficial? dark places, right? I mean, this room is fairly well lit, not amazingly well lit, but fairly well lit. If I added just one light in this room, you know, another standard light, it wouldn't make that big of a difference. You may not even notice. If this room was pitch black, there's no windows in this room. If we turn all the lights off, it gets very dark in here. If I turn one light on, it would make a huge difference when the room was pitch black. In the same way, the darkest, most wicked places in the world need the light of Jesus all the more. They don't need Christians running away from it. They need Christians running into it. And when they do, their light will shine. I say all that to say, if you're a Christ follower who's come into the city because you have a heart for the city, be encouraged, be strengthened. Know that God is with you and continue to let your light shine because Jesus will be glorified and many people, by the grace of God, will meet him through your life. And I'm just so encouraged by so many who have made the move, who live here, are staying here because of that call and because they love the people of the city. Back to the Cretans. They're, uh, the Cretans here, they're liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And Paul says, rebuke them. It seems like a strong word. It is a strong word. It seems harsh at face value. Uh, until you meet someone, maybe it could be a friend, family member, coworker. until you meet someone that is so stuck in their sin, so blinded by their sin, that there's no ability to reason with them. Uh, there's no ability to just call them out gently and gracefully. You have to kind of confront them. You have to come to them and say, look, you are going to live in the bed that you are making for yourself. You're going to lie in that bed if you continue down this path. Eventually, you will face the consequences of your actions. Some, when, when someone is so uh, deep into their life of sin and just walking away from God, they need to hear the hard truth. They don't, they don't need sugarcoating and niceties. They need to know that they are opposing God, and if they continue, God will oppose them. It's hard to hear, but it's true. This is what James says in James 4, 6. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to 
the humble. It doesn't say God gives mercy to the proud. It doesn't say God gives grace to the proud. He doesn't favor the proud. He's not nice to the proud. He opposes the proud. Now, it is true that in our lives, all of us have turned away from God in some way, shape, or form. And all of us, by the mercy and grace of God, if we trusted in Christ, it's only because of his mercy and grace. That all of us in our sin, God had his hand over us while we were walking through this life, disobeying him and not loving him and turning away from him. He had his hand over us. He could have struck us with lightning. He could have ended our days, but he kept his hand over us. But what James is telling us is there will come a day if we continue to oppose God, whether in this life or the next, where he will oppose us. He will humble us. He will break us. And he does that, I believe, because he wants to show us grace. But he can only show grace to a humble person. He is a God of mercy and grace, but he is God, and he will not be mocked. And as a matter of fact, one of the greatest means of grace in our lives is when God shows us that he is God and we are not. I love Psalm 40, verse 2. It says, you lifted me out of the miry pit. You set my feet on a rock. God loves to lift us out of our pits. He loves to show us grace and mercy. He loves to turn our lives around. He loves to forgive us and cleanse us and make us new, but he only does it if we turn our face to him, if we humble ourselves and receive Christ. If we seek him, we'll find him. If we deny him, he will deny us. The goal is a sound faith. And the way to sound faith, it's not religion and it's not rebellion, it's repentance. Repentance is simply turning or changing our minds, changing our life. And so repentance is, I was walking this way. I was walking in religion. I was trying to be, uh, you know, acceptable to God on my own and my own merit, my own strength, my own striving. It's religion or it's, you know, it's rebellion. I was turning away from God. I was walking far from him. And repentance is, you stop, you change your mind, and you turn back and walk towards God. Him. The goal is a sound faith. The way that we get a sound faith is we repent. We turn again and again and again to the truth of God's word, to the person of Jesus Christ. And when we repent, we find freedom and life. Paul goes on, verse 14, he says, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths. Uh, when you think Jewish myths, think new moons and superstition, think spiritual stuff that isn't centered on Christ. A few examples, modern day uh, Spiritual stuff would be tarot cards, Ouija boards, good omens, horoscope readers. Uh, Think spiritual stuff that isn't centered on Christ and just know that God hates this stuff. Uh, God hates it because it turns people away from Christ. It turns people to look somewhere else. It's deceptive and it's dark. It's not centered on the love of God in Christ. It's centered on man's ability to twist God's arm to get him to do stuff. And, and actually, if you get into this stuff, like if you have this stuff in your home or you've uh, dabbled in this stuff, you may need some prayer for like deliverance uh, because when you get into this stuff, you literally put a welcome sign over your front door that says to every demon in St. Louis, hey, come on into my house. We're having a party you're welcome to join. So this stuff, it really is dark, and it opens the door to a spiritual world that you don't want to be a part of. Uh, Christ and Christ alone, he will set us free from those things, and he will help us through life. We don't need that stuff. And so he says, don't devote themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. There were some people in Crete who were trying to be teachers. They were trying to lead people, but they themselves were disobeying the truth of God's word. Uh, Just to say, if if you are not obeying God, you have no right and should not lead other people. Uh, not to say that leaders need to be perfect because then there would be no leaders. Uh, it would be Christ and Christ alone. But uh, leaders do need to be those who are humbled and submitted to the word of God. We as elders, we, we've 
had this discussion that this uh, book is above us, that the authority of Scripture is greater than our authority, and we have the responsibility to bow before Christ and to obey every word that he says, and that's how we lead this church. And so if you came to me and you're like, hey, man, the book says this, and you guys are doing this, we have a responsibility to turn and repent and do what the book says because we're just, we're just under shepherds to Jesus. We're not the head of this church. Christ is the head of this church. We're just under shepherds and servants to him to do what he tells us to do as revealed in this book. Verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. There's this group of Cretans who were claiming to be Christians. They were claiming to know the truth and love the truth, but their life said otherwise. They gave a lot of lip service to God, but they were not living in obedience to him. You know, you can fake it for a while, but as Jesus says in Luke 6, a tree is known by its fruit. And so if you tell me this is an apple tree, I expect to get apples off the tree. If you tell me it's a Christian, you should expect to see Christ. Again, it's not perfection, but it's heading in his direction. It's, it's loving him, serving him, and beginning to bear fruit in life. You can fake it for a while. Eventually, the fruit of the tree comes out. Uh, the scarier part of that is God sees from the beginning. He sees the deepest, darkest thoughts in our mind. He sees the deepest, darkest, darkest things in our heart, and he knows. And so we need to really love him, truly worship him, and not uh, be like Cretans who gave lip service to God but didn't live what they believed. That's what this series is all about. This series is all about living what we believe. It's knowing the truth and then walking in the truth. They had all the right Christian answers, but their life was a mess. And I don't want that for myself. That's why we're doing this series. It's, it's, we don't want that for ourselves. We don't want that for our church. You don't want that for yourself or your kids or your spouse. We don't want it for our community. We don't want it for our city. And I, I just want to imagine with you for a minute what it would be like if every Christ follower in this city, if every one of us in this room, if we made a commitment in our lives to know the words of this book, to, to, to read through them, to believe, not just read, but really believe every promise in this book and obey every command by the grace of God, to, to live what we believe, and, and not just individually, not just me in my prayer closet with Jesus, but if we did that as communities, like if, if every single one of us committed to being a part of communities where we were knowing the truth and, and living the truth with other Christ followers, where we were doing this Christian life together, what that would be like? Like if, if the city looked on the church and the church represented Christ in such a way and they saw the truth in such a way that they looked on the church and they were like, your God is offensive to us, but we see your life and we want what you have. We, you're like a city set on a hill. You're, you're like a salt in this place that has no salt. I mean, it's, if, if the city were to look on us and see that, and it starts with us making commitment, each and every one of us, to know the truth and live in the truth, personally, but also as a part of a community. That's what I'm praying for in this series. I'm praying that each and every one of us walk away from this series knowing truth more, knowing Christ more, and living what we believe more. And again, the the goal is not perfection. The goal is progress. The goal is not all of us, you know, putting on a mask and being deceitful like the religious. The goal is being honest, being true, 
saying, this is where I'm at. This is when I want to be. Help me come follow Christ. And if we do that together, it is, it's going to be amazing what God does in us and what God does through us. Let's contend for that. Let's be a community like that.